What's up, dogs? <laughs> I've finally been trusted with doing the intro for the Triathlon Mockery podcast. It's only taken 18 months for Tom to finally trust me enough to uh, let me introduce <laughs> you all to the show. So welcome today, guys. Uh, we've got a big, big show tonight. First of all, we're going to talk about the uh, Ironman Texas and about the recent uh, positive uh, doping test from Colin Chartier, which has kind of shocked the triathlon world today. Massive news. Um very high profile athlete and I would say probably the highest profile athlete that's ever been tested positive uh, male athlete in long distance triathlon uh, wouldn't you say Tom? Um, yeah definitely for sure I mean I think it's uh, probably the biggest case in 15 years. In no and um, where do you reckon we should start with this one then because me and you both know Colin personally don't we as well? I, we I would say uh, start with the introduction so Colin Chache is um, an American athlete um, he won the PTO Dallas last year in September. Um, he's the winner of Ironman Montremblant. In uh, before people uh, say anything as well about the PTO Dallas, I just want to say if you're not too sure about that, that is one of the biggest triathlon races of the year last year. The hundred thousand dollars if you win it. Um, there's only an, there's another there's only two of them what had a hundred thousand dollars, and other than that, you've got a world championship race. But these races get the same standard as a world championship, don't they? If you can win one, you're basically beating a world championship standard. Definitely. Field. With that strength and depth uh, that day, uh, definitely one of the uh, – um, so going out based off them results, an absolute world-class athlete um, has been caught using EPO on a sample that he's been uh, out of out of competition, drug tested on uh, in November. No, we got no. We tested in February, mate. Oh, February, February, February twenty third of twenty third of February. In February, I think said, was exactly. And he said he started using EPO in last November. So he started using it last November. Do you think we should read read the statement real quick for everyone that missed it? Mate, he must have had a lot of energy on New Year's Eve eh, for the parties. He <laughs> <laughs> um, was going all night. I knew that was suspicious. <laughs> So basically, the state the statement says, "I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry, and I want to apologize to my friends, family, supporters, and the sport in general. I've been suspended for a positive out of competition doping control, and I'm suspended for three years. I have no plans to return to to travel on professionally. I started using this PAD performing enhancing drugs in November after feeling like I've lost my way in the sport, which is weird. Well, we'll get into that a bit later on." In the moment, I was injured, sick, sick, and I felt I had to do this um, if I was going to have success. I wanted it in 2024. Feelings of intense pressure, expectations to win the biggest race, uh, biggest races in 2024, along with feeling unhappy with personal sacrifices I had made. In my mind, I thought I had to deny myself friendships, happiness, socializing, having fun and training uh, to be the best. And I lost the love for the sport. In my mind, it became all or nothing. I went all in. Too much. So now I'm all out. I'm not going to give myself or anyone else the bullshit excuse like tainted burrito or tainted COVID vaccine, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I made a terrible choice and I will now face the consequences. Own it and move on. So caught. First thoughts, Joe. Was this, obviously it was unexpected. Totally unexpected. I mean, my first thoughts were like from when we like first met him in Ironman South Africa, basically a year ago to, to almost to the day, wasn't it? It was last April. Mm -hmm. Me and you met him, like we, we, we met him briefly before the race, but it was mainly after the race and we had a few drinks and stuff. And like, for me, I would always imagine someone that's going to take co like take EPO to be someone that is pushing the boundaries of everything they can. 
and they wouldn't have a couple of drinks after a race. You know, they'd be in bed, you know, early. They wouldn't be doing that, you know, because they're seeking all these extra gains. So when he says on that post about how it affected his social life, when we saw him in like South Africa, you would have never thought he was just a really friendly, normal person. And when I trained with him in Kona as well, like after some of the training sessions, he was, you know, having a cafe, you know, sitting at the cafe, having a coffee, some food and stuff. And to me, it did not seem like someone that um, who's was pushing the limits of like, you know, their social life. And like, like we said last week about being too obsessed, you know, were, but, you, um, were you talking about anything like uh, uh, drug testing around Kona or, or anything in that regards? I, with him? I, I can't really remember, to be honest. Like, I mean, to be honest, like the drug testing in Kona is the one race where you get tested beforehand. And then if you get a half decent result, you get tested after. So, it is better than the other races. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really know if we said much about that. We're normally, I, I think it was more just like, you know, normal chat, like nothing, nothing to do. I don't really think we're talking about drugs, but we might have done. I don't know. I can't, can't really remember to be honest, because it was back in October now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, it doesn't really, um, uh, it doesn't really matter. Funny thing is I uh, just listened an episode of how they train podcast about the PTO tour. So he was doing a couple of episodes on the PTO tour. I've listened to them all. I listened to them all. In episode six, Frederick Funk at some point goes on about getting drug tested again, really early in the morning. And so Colin is like the, um, one of, he He would have, and interestingly, he should have let the, the, the show. Um, and when he talked about like the uh, um, the drug testing, at some point he was going on about a swim, and all of a sudden he started swim uh, talking about swimming instead of like going deeply about the drug testing, like nothing, not nothing about it at all. Oh, right. So what do you mean? Like he was talking, what Colin well, was talking if about? You, if you, for example, all of a sudden start talking about, why well, it doesn't really matter, does it? But um, it's just a bit strange. Well, no, that no, you wanna, it's interesting you wanna, because you want to deny the subject. You want to change the subject when talking about it. That's that's what. Well, no, it's interesting because the dates. I had a look at the dates and everything to see when the timeline was, and I think the test, from what I gather, the positive test was taken on the twenty third of February. This first episode of the show was launched on the twenty second of February, which would have probably been recorded before that. So episode six would have been after the positive sample was taken. Um, his last Instagram post was on the 23rd of February. So I think maybe he knew deep down the writing was probably on the wall. And maybe by episode six, I don't know how long it would take to get the positive test back, but it could have well been that he might have known he'd already failed the test by the time that episode was around. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or he might have been waiting for it. Well, for sure. But, I, I reckon so. Yeah, definitely. But the interesting thing, the, the, the strange thing for me is, a couple of things. So with the take in the EPO, like I was talking to Laura, like obviously my, my wife's like a, a GP, uh, works in the hospital and stuff. And I said, like, how would it work? Like if you wanted to do that, you know, like do people give it to themselves or would he need a doctor? You know, trying to think like how much of a team do you need to actually help you do something like this? You know, is it something you can just buy and do yourself? And she said, no. She said, you'd probably need a doctor. Like, And she said she wouldn't have a clue how to do it because – it's done, you know, it's for kidney mm-hmm. medication, you know, maybe people that have had cancer or something like that, you know, so it's not even in her field. So you're probably, and I said, well, what would be the risk if say someone tried to do it themselves, you know? And she said, like, you'd probably get blood clots or something like that. So it's risky, you know, it's not something that you can really mess around with by mm-hmm. yourself. So there has to be other people 
in this circle that were involved. It's not something that and you also, can do by yourself. It's not one day that you wake up and you think, I'm going to start using EBO. I, you must definitely have a chat with someone, an athlete or a coach, or um, I'm not saying his coach, definitely not saying that, but you, ha- you must have had a chat with someone well, that brought you onto the path. Well, let's also think back as well. Back in November, he was training, I think, at that time in Lake Tahoe, wasn't he? Because can you remember doing some skiing and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that as well? Yeah. So if he was on it in November, he did a training camp in Tahoe in November. He was in South America after that. And then he was in Spain after that. So if he was getting the EPO at these different places, how did he, where did he get it from in America? Where did he get it from in South America? And where did he get the drugs from in, in Spain? Because he said he was on it from November. Did he fly with it? Did he just buy a bulk load in one place and then fly with it all over the world? I mean, that's fucking risky, isn't it? You know, if you get your cases sorted, that, like in some countries, that's a criminal offence. You could literally go to prison for that, you know? Mm-hmm. like, Do you need to so, take it every week, every day? I don't, I don't even know. I've, fuck knows. Like, I've literally no idea. Like, um, I should have asked Thomas like, Decker. I, I've, I've rang him literally a couple of times before this episode. We should have got our correspondent on this, Thomas <laughs> Decker. We should have actually got him on the show with us but to he, talk about um, this. Um, he was on, yeah. on, on reachable. But yeah, it definitely makes you wonder... Um, there's more people to this story, but, 100%. And yeah, and also going back where he said in the thing you read out on his statement, it was all getting too much. And he made, he alluded to the mental pressures of everything, you know, like he was all in, he wasn't having the social life and everything like that. Um, but let's think back to the summer. He had his best season to date. Like he won an Ironman. He won 100K in the PTO race. He must have got some good sponsors, I'm guessing, on board for the following season. Like, it must have been looking good. It looked like when he was training in like in Tahoe in November, you know, when he was doing the skiing and stuff, having a good laugh, but not being too OTT with the training. Didn't look like someone that was like slaving away 35 hours a week indoors, you know, training the ski mm-hmm. resort. It looked like someone who was enjoying it. So I don't get how it was mentally like that. I mean, maybe he kept, like you said the other day, you know, on the last episode about people keeping it on the outside, it looks like everything's rosy. Yeah. And on the inside, it's not. I mean... I can only assume it was like that. But from the outside, the it looked like things thing, were going well. The strange thing to me in that case is, I mean, I've been there, and not you mean, in, in Hengelo and, and, and feeling like uh, missing friends and all that. But going from that to I, I'll use performance-enhancing drug, like what is, what is it going to change? Like there's that's a big step, isn't it? I don't... It's, a huge uh, step. That's what I mean. Like who did you consult? Where would you even buy it from? Because it's not like you can go to another athlete and say to another pro... Hey mate, like I'm looking to uh, take some EPO. Like, where can you, where can I get it from? Do you know what I mean? It's something that you have to do, either with a team on the slide that is like where it's all you know kept in amongst yourselves, or you, you, you I, I just can't see how you could do it by yourself. You know, because you need to get a doctor involved as well. So, do, is someone that puts you in touch with this doctor? Because you can't just go to a hospital or a GP surgery and say, look, I want to take EPO from a sport. Can you administer it for me? How you know, like mm-hmm. there's there's more to this. A hundred percent there's a lot more people involved, I think, than what it adds up to. And another interesting thing was before the race in Texas this week, we had to do this mandatory uh, drug thing. And I thought, oh, what a load of bollocks this is. And I, I was talking to someone before the day before we had to do it, and it was an hour long, it was before the briefing, the day two days before the race. I said, someone said, oh, I'll see you down there for the, uh, for the briefing, you know, for the uh, mandatory drug thing tomorrow. And I said, oh yeah, that's a load of bollocks, isn't it? And they said, well, don't you think it's uh, a bit fishy? Don't you think it's a bit funny that, you know, Ironman are uh, running these mandatory pro, like these uh, drug um, 
chats, you know, um, before the race now. Like, don't you think that someone's pro- like some big names have obviously failed tests uh, or, you know, and they're potentially, I don't know, holding it back. Maybe it's going to come out uh, at a later date or something because Ironman have managed to get someone from US anti-doping to run these hour-long chats, which are mandatory. You have to go to them. If you don't go to them, you can't start the What was the, the chat about? Like literally just a chit chat? Everything. No, like a proper presentation about what not to take, what stuff you can take, how do you know what you can take, whether or not you think someone might be on drugs, how to report someone if you think they're on drugs, you know? Really? Everything about, yeah, everything about it. But to me, if one person fails a test, it doesn't seem like an organization is going to put on these courses because one person's failed a test. To me, it seems like you put these te- you put these courses on before a race and make them mandatory if there's some wide-swept problems in your sport with numerous people mm-hmm. on drugs, failing tests, I don't know, missing, you know, something bad. It doesn't seem like you would do this you, for one you, person. So you're saying you it could be that they're holding back cases or... or, or Potentially, I'd, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think... I think it seems fishy. I don't think you would run and make everyone in there do this course because one person's failed a test. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the kind of thing you put on if there's a wide-swept problem in the sport and mm-hmm. you're like, this is bad for our organisation. If a lot of people are failing tests coming out, this does not look good. You know... I was speaking to Sam Long today about it because we were like shocked. He said he's been taken off whereabouts for from Iron Man, so he's no longer why need, because he said I guess they don't think I'm getting the results now. So that he's literally no longer required to keep his whereabouts, and he he thinks it's crazy himself. He's so like, for this is nuts, for everyone you know? that doesn't know what whereabouts is. Um, RMN or your federation can put you on whereabouts. This is a website where you need to put your, well, literally where you are every day. So the drug testing agency can see where you're at so they can come at your door and test you whenever. So yeah, basically, for instance, like mine is like 8 p.m. every day. So like they can come to my house 8 p.m. every day. I have to be there. If I'm not there, then I would get a one missed test. I'm not there again too. If I miss the third one, ban, free, you know, fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your reputation's gone. Um, if you're not on whereabouts and if you're on whereabouts, they can still come at a different time, but you don't have to be there. Um, and if you're not on whereabouts, then you don't have to be at any place at any given time. So they could still come to your house and test you, but you might not be there and it doesn't matter. So, you know, it's a lot harder for the testers to actually test you because they don't know where you're going to be at any given day or time. Mm -hmm. And if you're not there, you're not there. But that's another thing as well. What I find, found strange with the Colin Chartier one was he obviously knew he was test, going to test positive for EPO. He had it in his system, which makes you think, why would he have done the test with the testers when they come? Why would he have not have just not opened the door and got a missed test? You know? I don't know. What, exactly. what, what would be the reason? You think it's a thir- it's third or what? what? could it have been he yeah it was his third uh could it have been that he he was they were trying to microdose and got it wrong and they put a bit too much in the system and he tested positive because obviously if you're going to do it surely you'd want to do it enough that you can do a maximum amount to get through the testing mm-hmm. but enough to give you the edge over your competitors did where they do a microdose and they fucked up there's, i don't know um, like there's just a lot more to it but what one thing i want to say is um and 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 it's pretty obvious like it's never the answer isn't it because how can you 
live with the idea that you're participating unethically, like you're being a criminal, aren't you? Like you're participating against people that put I've, everything on the line. I've, I just can't, I could just can't see how you can make decisions. I mean, when we spoke to Thomas Decker, he said that he did doping back in the days because his whole team did it. He wanted to be the best. Everyone was doing it. Everyone was pursuing him to do it. Whereas now, as today and age, I don't think many people do drugs and it's way harder to do it and it's way easier to get caught. I don't know. I don't think it is much easier to get caught, to be honest. Like, I don't think the testing's very good at all. And you say that not everyone does drugs, but that might be because of the people you surround yourself with. If you surround yourself with people that are constantly telling you everyone's doing it, you need to do it to win. It's hard to compete unless you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Your mindset thinks everyone else is doing it. It's all about the role models you're surrounded with. If you think if you're doing it legit and everyone's telling you that they're doing it legit and you've not got any suspicions on anyone else, then you you obviously feel like you can compete clean because you mm-hmm. feel like everyone else is. And I think it also comes down to morals. Like I got asked after this um, uh, drugs thing, what they did uh, before Texas, do you think a lot of people are cheating? And I said, I think a lot of people would have w- would be willing to cheat because when you race on Zwift and you're in your own home, your own setup, people lie about their weight. They lie about their height. They do all this. And morally... They know that they're doing it wrong, but they're doing it to get the edge on people. And the mentality is there. It's not the same as taking EPO, but you know, if, I put, if I'm if i 80 kilos and I put in 75, I know I'm getting that benefit, don't I, that boost. I'm mm-hmm. not going to get caught by anyone. So I feel like I can get away with it. So I would do it. I don't do it, but like people do do it. I see it all the time. I'm racing on there and I'm like 80 kilos and no one else is like, everyone else is 60. But it shows you that when people are in their own home, their own environment, and they feel like they can get away with something because no one, the consequences are very low. They cheat. And if they've yeah, got that there mentality. Is, there is a massive difference. Yes, of course, a lot of people want to cheat. They pay, cheat with Monopoly, get more money from the bank. But to be putting a needle in your arms, knowing that that is the moment that if you get caught, it's going to change your whole life, everything you're on the line. Um, probably you're going to lose a lot of friends. You're going to lose your passion and and, and literally everything you, you, you love doing. What is it all worth? Is it worth the money of one big race? In my opinion, it's not. I mean... It... I guess it depends on how long they go for without getting caught. And I mean, morally, a lot of people, a lot of people would what, cheat what on about, Twitter. What because... about the stress and being able to 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 look your you you travel a lot with your dad and look your dad in the eyes and saying that you've been training hard and you've put in all the work whilst you know that you've been cheating that that that's that's something else mate that's something else oh yeah it's terrible but that's what thomas decker said when we interviewed him didn't he he said when he won and he was cheating it never felt the same relation as when he actually managed to mm-hmm. win when he was clean did he 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 said it was like you won but you didn't feel like you really won. Even though back in them days in cycling, every, you felt like everyone was dirty and a lot of people were cheating. He still didn't even feel like it was like he'd really done it, did he? You know, it was always a bit like you're doing a job more than actual personal satisfaction and the the, mm-hmm. the emotion of like actually winning legitimately, was it? I guess it's always weighing over your shoulder that you've won, but you've cheated. And have you just won and beat someone that was doing it fairly and you've done it, you know, totally... Uh, unlegitimately and uh it, it's not really a proper win it's like a hollow win isn't it you know i no. think people's it's all it all comes down doesn't it to people's morals you know and what they feel like they can get away with and whether or not they tell themselves no, that i just i just um 
I I I would just really want to know um, what 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 someone's um, yeah what 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 made him do it at and, one point like how how it all went and well obviously and, we'll probably never get the answer but um, I know I hope he does come out with some answers and say and I also feel like if if he obviously says that he started it in November and his biggest result was PTO US Open mm-hmm. in middle of September. Um, what I don't understand was if, like he says, he was doing it legitimately, like he did, let's just assume that what he says is true and he raced Dallas and he wasn't doping. To me, it's just absolutely fucking crazy that you could win one of the most stacked races of the year clean and then feel like in November, two months later, you have to cheat with EPO to be competitive. That doesn't make any sense. Because you feel sense. depressed. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like doesn't you've make just any proved. Sense. Yeah. Two months ago, you've proved you can beat the best in the world on your day clean. You don't just suddenly think I need EPO to get the extra. That doesn't make any. That doesn't make any sense. Like so, it, we I we, feel like- we can't fill in. Uh, we sadly can't fill in uh, uh, facts. And and uh, um, can they do some some like uh, a history tracking on on the? Uh, well, it's, it's if they part, tested it? at the if they tested at Dallas and they still had the samples, I think they're supposed to keep them. I think, and you could go to back and test them. I think I don't know, but like. Yeah, it would be interesting, but it, it is, would just be it is, even more. It is strange, though. But what I what I think is uh, what people should be careful of, because I've seen it a lot on social media today, um, was accusing his coach, Michael, uh, that he could be involved or athletes he trained with or other Norwegians or, or Lionel who trained with. It's just very, very dangerous to say stuff about other athletes. Like I don't think uh, um, um, any, any of them people... Um, can be accused of that. No, we, we obviously need to Colin to come out and hopefully come out and just spill the beans on um, who helped him and everything. But, you know, whether or not the, the truth will come out, who knows? But I definitely feel like this is the tip. I, of this. I feel like this is the tip of the iceberg, to be honest, mate, from the, to me. Moral-wise, um, as an athlete in the sport, uh, he's, he's an absolute asshole. He's a dick. Like, I, I, I just can't see how um how you could do that but um yeah colin <laughs> if there's any chance you're still listening to travel and stuff um yeah if you're a friend of his i think it's just really important <laughs> in this time that he's got his friends uh, around him and i hope for him that he uh, um better the rest of his life and he finds his path in in something else in yeah. life because there's still a whole lot uh, a whole life of info. <laughs> I, i've seen it with thomas decker people can have second chances yes but not in competitive sport. It's fucking done for well, me. But yeah, hopefully I mean, he'll like, have uh, he'll become a, a great PE teacher or whatever. But um, and it's crazy because like it's such a shame because he was such a nice person, he's a nice wasn't person. he? Like he's- really nice person. So like, and if it was because of the mental issues, like he says that did get him in it. It's such a shame that he couldn't feel like he could reach out to someone and get the help he needed before he turned to that. You know, it's I just like- think it's so crazy how you can go from. Um, I do believe there's a lot of athletes that are mentally depressed, but I I, I just can't see how uh, how at some point you're getting so low that you think that drops who is do the you answer. Tell? Like if I was imagine right if I'm really low and I'm feeling like I'm like so so depressed and that mm-hmm. and I want to and I'm thinking do I take drugs do I not who do I talk to like that is that you can't is tell that another is, athlete can you who do who do you speak to well like, that that is really your family. Do you just speak to your family or what do well, you say? Well, if you, if you do feel really, really um, depressed and you're losing, uh, um, uh, you're losing it and you don't know what to do, I think 
um, well, the first step is obviously it's taking a step back from the sports, but what you need is, is friends and, and, and family and basically chat with uh, about everything with them and it needs time. And uh, But the hard thing is what happens in a situation when you don't have friends, when you lost contact with your family or you don't have that good of a connection with your family, yes, then some dangerous stuff can happen. But we can't judge about that because we didn't know how it worked in his situation. And um, yes, a lot of people say they've got a lot of friends in the sports, but are they really friends? You know, do they really know everything about you or do they just know what your FTP is and, and your heart rate during a certain session? I mean, there's a difference <laughs> between fucking friends because Joe, I can tell you one thing. Um, if you ever uh, get a positive test, I'd be, I'd be so, so flipping disappointed. I would never let you down as a friend, but in the sports and travel mockery podcast would be done, but I would still be there for you as a, as a, as a friend, because you'd still be my mate. You know, I would be really, really disappointed in the, cha- in the, in the, the decisions you've made in life. But I do believe in second chances for people, but just with regards to this, um, not in, not in sports. Like you'd like to think over. you'd never turn to something like that, wouldn't you? Exactly. You know, exactly. like that's, you you just like, you wouldn't do it for fun. There, there there is more to this story. There's more. So either he got pursued into it, or um, um, he's like uh, psychologically uh, uh, in the gutter. Um, but there there are definitely more people to it. There's definitely more to this story than just him uh, in Lake Tahoe with the EPL. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else we want to say about this topic? I think the next thing is just waiting to see what actually comes out with this. I mean, this all kind of kind of unwrapped today and it was totally kind of out the blue. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out when Colin or if Colin actually speaks out about it. Mm-hmm. There's rumours he might be going on another podcast. Um, I'd love to get with, I'd actually love to ask him questions on like how it actually, how he like got into it and everything, you know, and find more info and love to know whether or not there was people that like pressurized him into it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully he'll come out with that. And if he was, if there is other people involved, he'll uh, name them and uh, the sport can move on. But until he's actually comes out and publicly speaks, there's nothing more really we can say is there. It's all speculation mm-hmm. at this point. It is all, uh, it is all speculation. And again, we've been saying that for many, many, many times. Um, Never forget to uh, never forget the joy of the sport. It's not about like winning or or beating other people. It's about it's, it's about the journey with each other, isn't it? Is it? It's about becoming well, the best version of yourself. Yeah, and, exactly. That's what I think. Um, you just want to get how good you can be yourself, don't mm-hmm. you? So it's a, it is that is the journey, isn't it? It's seeing what you can do yourself, what level you can physically get yourself yeah. to, and enjoying it. And it seems like the common theme of what turns people into doping from what you see when they all like come out with their statement is they lose the love of it. They get too intense and too in wrapped up into it. They lose contact with their friends and then their mental state deteriorates and the mixture of all of them and financial pressures, the mixture of all those things is what seems like it leads people into the path of doping. I guess they feel like they need to dope to kind of make themselves happy to get the results. They haven't got anyone to talk to, um, and the financial pressures. And it just seems like that is a boiling point of, uh, for people and they just make some very bad decisions that you know they're going to have to live with for the rest of their lives exactly and and um at the in the end of the day does it really matter if you yeah obviously i can it's easy for me because i've never won won a big race but does it really fucking matter joe 
if you won not really massive so no. you've won Ironman Florida all right but in 30 years from now are you a better person than I am are you a bigger dog <laughs> I don't think so like in the end your stories around the born fire with uh, with your little with Arabelle are just as cool as mine just as cool as yeah. mine and maybe doesn't matter, does it? maybe if I tell Arabella that I'm the reigning <laughs> duathlon beer world champion is a cooler story than a course record at Ironman Florida so yeah fuck the drugs <laughs> it's about the journey mate <laughs> and it would probably be former course record holders it wouldn't even be current because someone would have beaten it by then <laughs> <laughs> um alrighty, yeah let's um this is not the end of it and if you want to hear more about this we've done an extensive podcast about doping about um uh, thomas decker's doping uh professional cycling career with the doping back somewhere in uh september no, it was August. And we've done another podcast, literally the 8th of March, 2023, where we were talking about doping and triathlon and where we were saying that people weren't get tested enough, especially the people that are not on the whereabouts list. And that there should be more testing because we do think that there is potentially some doping and triathlon. And interestingly, this test was one that got that caught him was an authorized test by Ironman Triathlon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was his own national governing body, you know, or anything like that. It was actually Ironman that paid for this this test and uh, have published the results of it, you know. Well, I think it's it's a really good thing. I think it's a good thing. First real case of a massive athlete, well, an athlete with big results uh, that's training with big names in in, uh, in in fifteen years, and I think it's um, it shows you that nowadays it's still really important to to keep keep testing. Yeah, the more you test, the more you're going to find, aren't you? And I hope if you're listening to this and you're on and you're on roids, you're on PhDs, whatever you are, I hope you're oh, stressing. I hope you're stressing out. And I hope you. I hope there's, they, you know, there you. are so many normal people that take PEDs because after speaking to some of uh, the doctors that I know that work as GPs, mm-hmm. when they come, when people come in, they have to ask them, "Are you on any like medication and stuff?" You would not believe how common steroids and everything is amongst normal people it's crazily high like i was absolutely shocked from the stories that i hear from like some of um some of the doctors i hope the fucking dogs are coming for you um <laughs> it's just sad mate it's it's just it's just um... i know and they're normally like 40s or 50 year old men but when they come off it they're going to be totally screwed because the body can't produce like uh, testosterone naturally then can it so uh they're like turning to girls yeah yeah well could be um shall we go over to iron man texas joe we'll go over to iron man texas yeah so last weekend there was also an iron man uh, iron man texas our big dog jody competed mate how did it go well so the swim was pretty good for me to be fair like um 52 minutes 20 just managed to sneak under the golden 54 minute barrier Mm-hmm. non-wetsuit so that was uh that was good um you'd have probably been on my feet wouldn't you for that like decent I, swim for I, you. I was looking at that swim time and i was thinking could have been there could have been on them feet <laughs> no it was probably it was a non-wetsuit wasn't it so non-wetsuit yeah but, were, but that was a were, good... you, were you disappointed with the swim no i thought the swim was decent to be fair all right like i was swimming with some 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 of the people in that pack I've never managed to swim with before. All right. So for me that was really good, and it and was only about, like three. 
What about being four minutes down from uh, from Rudy and all? Well, that? that was after transition because I lost a minute in transition. Yeah, I saw that. That was so out the we'll water. Get to that. Fr- you you think that the deficit to like the front pack was something like four minutes or to like the... uh, fr- no, it was three twenty, three thirty from the first swimmer out the water. All right. So out the water is three thirty, which is pr- decent, like non wetsuit swim against Andy Horsfall Turner, who was he was ranked the number one swimmer on the PTO rankings <laughs> until they did the new thing. So you know, very quick swimmer. Um, so yeah, that was, that was as good as I could have hoped for. Um, and probably one of my best swims to date, to be fair. Um, so that was really good. And then a minute lost in transition. I put some like overshoes on. I was trying a few different things because I've obviously done some like testing in the wind tunnel and stuff and tried some different things, put some overshoes on, took a lot or not overshoes, like, you know, them calf sleeve things Mm -hmm. took too long to put on. Wouldn't do it again. Not worth it. Like that was a big if I look at the race, you, well, know, you mean, you them, certain... you mean them, them calves, them aero calves? Yeah, like I'd practice them in training, could get them on pretty quick. But I think obviously in the wet and when you're in transition, you feel like you're getting things on quick. But I think you don't actually put them on that quick. And I'd seen a few people do it before in other races and they would manage to put them on really quick. So I thought I could do it quick. And normally my transitions have, <laughs> have been, they have been really good now. Mm-hmm. Like lately I've been getting like one of the fastest transitions. So for me to lose a minute in transition or over yeah, a minute. Shitloads, absolutely shitloads. Shitloads, absolutely shitloads. Totally waste of time. Yeah. That was a massive tactical error. And if I look at the race, you know, you look at the race and you like break it down into bits. That was a decisive, bad tactical move. Wouldn't do it again. In a non-wetsuit swim, I would not put calf sleeves on because that put me on the back foot. Because then all of a sudden getting out of transition, Instead of being three and a half out of the water, um, bordering on five minutes mm-hmm. then. So I actually lost a minute and 20, I think. Yeah, it was a minute and 20. It was absolutely shit. Man. Yeah. So really, when you think about it, if you, you could, there's no reason you couldn't go as fast as the fastest person in transition or slightly better if you can run for it quicker. So had I got out the transition quick, I could have been 325 down. I managed to get the gap down to two minutes at the uh, turn it wasn't on the tracker but this was like Mm -hmm. there wasn't a timer split there but when i top when we timed it you know like coming there it was two minutes that was lowest it got down so had i've managed to get out the water three and a half minute or out of transition 320 330 down which is what i came out the water then i would have taken i took three minutes out of them at one point i'm sure if i would have been like 20 seconds 25 seconds behind you could have carried on on the foot pressure you know and bridged up so i think that that was what stopped me because also getting it on at the start of the bike, put the camel back in, camel back in went in really easy. But because it was wet, it almost went in too easy. <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> fucking thing went like where my fucking balls were. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to ride the bike. I get this fucking one and a half liters like bouncing off my balls. Like, and I'm like trying to reach in and pull it back up. And I lost, I reckon I lost about 15 seconds, something like that, doing that, you know. It's very annoying. Like, if anything, like when I was practicing training, it was almost like you were thinking it would be hard to get it in, but because it was wet and slippery, it literally slipped right down. I was like, it was like literally bulging down there. I'm like trying to ride the bike, like a liter and a half ball there. Uh, so you were like a camel. Like, Is that I where like the camel, camel bag comes from? Yeah. <laughs> so um, that would like on a, that that wasn't too bad though. To be fair, like if it was just that, it wouldn't have been too bad, but. Had I have not done the calf sleeves, had I not done the camel back, I, I, that would have been between bridge into the front pack and not. So tactical errors, which could have been decisive in the race. You know, I mean, you've obviously got to look at what you can do, positive and negative. So I, whether or not I'd do them again, be I would have to weigh it up. Definitely not the calf sleeves in a non-wetsuit swim. Wetsuit swim, I would do it. Um, because you can wear the calves underneath the... 
yeah, like if you That's can do it underneath right. the wetsuit, it's yeah. you, you you do it, you know, because it's no loss. You know, I did that in Arizona, and it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything. Um, and then bike felt really good, power was really decent, to be fair. But because I was on the back foot from the bad transition, when I caught the Matt Hansen group, which I was actually in, so I wouldn't have had to actually catch them. You know, it took mm-hmm. me about eighteen about eighteen minutes to catch them. Yeah, which is like you know that's eighteen minutes of wasted effort. Uh, and then when I caught them. I went pretty hard to drop them because I didn't want to carry, I didn't want to like take them along with me. And I knew that they would be thinking when Joe comes past, we'll try and stay with him because that will take us closer to the front, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I wanted to make sure they didn't come with me, which was okay, but I had to put a big effort in and obviously it burned some matches that you could have had later on in the race. And what, then, what, what I thought at some point, you were two minutes down from Rudy Van Berg and all them, but then yeah. the gap got bigger back to like 320. Yeah. What was going yeah. on? I don't know, mate. Like we carried on like uh, we carried on working, me and that Arno Gillo, we were still working fairly hard, but the gap just started going back out. Like, um, you know, we were still putting out decent numbers. Like I think after um, I looked at my data today and on Trainer Peaks and up until where I took the wrong turn, my average power was 305, 306 watts, something like that. Normalized 315. Um, Arizona, I averaged 315 average power for the whole ride. So it was a bit lower. But then with the aero stuff that we've done, that would have been uh, better. And I think like the Texas course is harder because it's soul destroying riding on that motorway. So um, yeah, I think part of the reason I might have faded a bit on the power would probably have been because I didn't take as many carbs as I would have liked to. And I think part of that reason is I was trying to work hard to catch the group that when you, you know what it's like when you're working hard, mm-hmm. you you can be a bit slack on making sure you take enough nutrition in, can't you? And obviously in an Ironman that peels up. I mean, not, I'm not saying I didn't have much. I still had a decent amount, but uh, do you I think the more. carbs were all hanging down your bowls in the camel bag? <laughs> <laughs> the camel bag, once I actually got hold of it and pulled it up, it was absolutely fine. It was just trying to pull it up at the start. But yeah, I mean, like, to be fair, they pushed on like and pulled away and I was still riding pretty strong. And I actually wondered at that point when they pulled away, because I was expecting the gap to still come down. And I said to that, I know who I was riding with. I said, because I thought maybe my power meet is fucked uh, and it's telling me bigger numbers than what I'm actually pushing. Because first three hours or like after two and a half, I think my first 90 minute power was 340 watts, according to Training Peaks. Jenny man's not bad, you know, it was technical mm-hmm. at the start as well. So you've got quite a few corners where you can't really pedal. And the first bit where I'm trying to grab the uh, camelback. So I think my, you know, my peak, um, my powers was pretty decent. Um, but yeah, I said to him, are, we, are you putting out good power, mate? He said, he, or I think I said, are you working hard? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after three hours, I said, what are you averaging? Because I was thinking, well, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. He said he was averaging 325 watts after three hours. What the, the gap fuck? was going out. Yeah, honestly, we were like smashing it. Like, and he was doing more of the work. So, you know, like towards after about two and two hours, he was stronger. You know, it was a shame we didn't really get out. I didn't have that good transition because we would have been together at the start of the bike. And instead of me Look, wasting a lot of energy to catch him, we could have. At some point, well. you rode off course. Yeah. Was it because so, you had your head stuck in all them bottles that were going no, on in your No, the funny front? thing is, I didn't have my head stuck in them bottles. Like, where it was. So there's a bit of confusion because at the briefing, they said, you've got, you get off the Hardy Toll Road with four or five miles to go. We came around the turn, the last, like, U-turn, where you, like, would go out, where you'd, like, um, come up to the turn. And I was looking for a sign 
there was an aid station there. So I was getting a bottle. I didn't even have my flipping head in the like in the TT. I wasn't even in the TT bars. I was drinking an, um, the water and you know where you're like spraying it all on you mm-hmm. and everything like that. I was looking around, didn't see a sign. Um, and then we were on about 168 kilometers at that point, 169. And I thought, oh, well, four to five miles to go is six to eight Ks. So we must be have another two or three K on here. Didn't see a sign. Just carried on. In the end, I felt like, I felt like this isn't right. You know, like I had a feeling this, is, this doesn't seem right. So I asked an agent. It was all still closed roads. Or did you see cars and, and, and passengers? Oh, and- no, it was on, no, because I stayed on the toll road and went too far on the toll road. So I effectively started a third lap on the toll road. Oh, right. That was how I missed it. But then after speaking to the media people from Iron Man, when I was talking to, talking to him afterwards, he said he missed it as well because there wasn't a sign. And apparently the sign wasn't there at that point in the race. They put it there later on, like, or it was there, but it wasn't facing the right way. So you couldn't see it. So later on, how come you reckon um, our big dog Jody missed the sign and the other ones didn't? I so yeah, so I asked people that, (laughs) and I think Rudy managed to do it because he had a lead bike with him. All right, but then the second place probably saw Rudy when they were like opposite Mm -hmm. because you would see someone taking it, and then I know Andy Horsfall Turner in fourth said that he knew that was there because of third place. Then I missed it because I didn't have anyone with me. I didn't see anyone take it because it was a very strange turn. It was like you went, you had to go past the slip road and then do a 180 turn back on yourself up the, going up a slip road the wrong way you would normally go. So but normally as a life hack, you always have that GPX file in your woohoo. Why? I do, yeah. I know. And I didn't have it this time, but it would be hard to have it because you'd have, you can't normally map the routes unless, it's very hard to map routes, isn't it, when you're going the wrong way yeah. on certain roads. And there's a lot of roads that you go the wrong way. All right. Um, but I spoke to Tom Davis and some other people, and Tom Davis said in the chase group, he overshot the corner because he didn't see it. But the guy in front of him took the right turn, and then obviously he overshot it and just did a U-turn and come back. But the Ironman media bike took the wrong turn. And then once once you get a lot busier in the course, it would be a lot easier to see where mm-hmm. you're going because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just following the others. But I didn't have any bikes with me. You would say you would say I wouldn't get in problem in a, in a problem. <laughs> you know the guy I was riding with who was behind me said, "Oh man, I shouted you when he took the wrong turn." And I was thinking, "Yeah, did you go this way?" This <laughs> yeah. way Joe, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm taking left, Joe. I'll yeah. see you tomorrow. Bye. It's right. It's right, Joe. It's right. Like I didn't hear any. I didn't hear anything. Like you know. Like, so I don't and know you, how loud you were stuck with your hat and like twenty bottles. You couldn't hear and see a thing. Yeah, I don't but, know how loud he was shouting, but like, and, and I it didn't. was the noise from the camelback between your ball sack. <laughs> <laughs> I had a camelback slapping my balls. I had my head in like uh, two aero bottles on the front. Like I was like, you it's know, here, Joe, it's here left. Yeah, it must have been. Uh, and then that was it. And then like I actually looked on Training Peaks after the race to see how much time I lost. It was like thirteen and a half minutes that that cost me going up there and back. And then after that, I got into transition. I was fucking miles behind, like twenty minutes. What? Like what? Um, what? By the way. Um... What happened on course with so many crashes? Because it's an out and back, isn't it? It's just an oh my back. god! Why were there so many crashes with H? Unbelievable, mate! I've never seen so many crashes in my life on an Ironman, and I do not know why. Because people were crashing on just a middle, like the center lane of a highway with no turns. They were literally just going down like dominoes, mate. Would you say all Americans on Swift? Hundred percent. That's what I bet it is. Americans riding too much indoor trainer. 
not enough time outdoors on the road. I mean, if you can't, if a, if the Hardy Toll Road is too technical, you haven't got a hope in hell of getting run nice, have you? <laughs> like, <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> a toll road, and that's the thing. What people were saying about the position and stuff, what I've got on the bikes and with the bottles and stuff, it's not just you've got horses for courses. I'm not going to use that setup for Nice, you know, because it's not a course for it's not a setup that you'd use for Nice, you know. But let's not let people saying, "Oh, like how is he going to go around corners, tight corners and stuff?" Guys, this course was 84 miles on a motorway toll road with a U-turn round some cones and then some really straight American roads back to transition, you know. It's the perfect course for that. If I'm riding in Nice, I'm not going to ride that course with two aero bottles above my arms, you know, because you need Mm -hmm. to be a lot more dynamic with like where you're moving your hands, the position and stuff like that. So you've got to be prepared to like look at what courses you're doing and the setups might change a bit. You know, Nice, I'd use a two by setup, but fast course like Texas, I'm going to use a one by, you know, it's, it's just totally different. And same with Ibiza. I think Ibiza might be an undulating technical bike course. I probably won't have the aero bottles, you know, over the arms, you know, it's, it all depends on what the course is like. And the downside with this course is we've gone the wrong way. Like you said, is you can't wreck it beforehand because you're riding on motorways the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like and because you're riding the opposite way to traffic, you couldn't really wreck it properly in the car because sometimes they're sending you against what would be the flow of the traffic, but the road's just closed. Yeah. So yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. it's really hard to actually wreck it and properly know Whereas like when I went to Arizona and I do other races and, you know, when we've been together, we always try and ride a lap of the course before the race, don't we? To really, yeah. you know, get the feel for it and see where everything is. Um, so, yeah, couldn't really do that. But like that was very disappointing and started off on the run. Um, but in my head, I was kind of weighing up my options. I've got the IT Worlds in two weeks time. And I thought, you know, there's too many. If there was less people in front of me or the gaps are a lot closer. Like say I was just like four minutes down from say fifth place or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would have given it a good crack, you know, and had a, I, w- I would have had a good go, but I was 20 minutes down and I was like, over. Mate, I think it was over 12 save, minutes. To like- save the legs for another day. That's what I thought. And it's like early season, first mm-hmm. Ironman of the year. I want to do Florida. You're thinking of doing Florida in November. An Ironman for nothing in April isn't going to help me for Nice and Florida later on. Exactly. In the year. And Joe, this race, one thing, yeah, Although this race made you a little bit depressed, you've got a little one in this world, you've got a couple of mates, and there's a lot more chances for you to win some races. To be honest, mate. Don't do I stuff don't... I wouldn't do. Yeah. Don't ever think <laughs> To be honest, I don't really let it get me down. Like, I always think with this sport, you know, you have a good race and you're on the highest of highs, aren't you? You know, when you get a PB mm-hmm. and you, you, you feel incredible. But, you know, you have the highest of highs and to have them, you're going to have the, the lows, aren't you, to go with it, you know, and sometimes you have lows. Do you, but... do you know, it's it's one of the um, the things you uh, you once taught me when I uh, started out racing. So of, in the age group scene, I was kind of a big dog at some point. They called me the Jan Ferdino F age groupers, self-proclaimed. Um, <laughs> when you dusted up Marco, Marco said that you were going to... I dusted like up Marco, Brazilian. I barked at him like a little dog. And, I made and he look- was taunting you beforehand, wasn't he? Saying that you were walking like a little bitch in Kona, weren't you? And he got you wound up and then you I put an arrow into him. Spanked his <laughs> ass eight k's into the bike ride and never saw him again. Not even Jan um, puts an hour into people but in one thing, man. One thing I want to say, what I learned from you is that you, um, and this is what a lot of people have, and I had it as well, is uh, being scared to race because you need to perform. And in the end, we're only athletes for a certain amount of time. So might as well get like races in 
enjoy the experience. And yes, you'll feel more than, than what you would win. Um, but for me now, especially after so many months off and, and, and I'm, I'm as unfit as I've ever been, um, enjoying the training as ever, like I'm flipping enjoying it every day again. I can't wait to get back on the start line. I'm racing in like the end of May, then in June, I'll probably have a couple of bad races, but mate, I, I, I just being able to be on the start line and being able to be, um, be fit. That is something. It was, it was awesome to be back on the start line. To not year, take for granted, isn't it? Yeah, and you could feel the nerves, you know, beforehand, especially I always find it's a lot worse for your first race of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get a couple of races in, you still get the nerves, but you're, you're, you're in the swing of things. And one thing what I would say to people about, like, if you have good races and you have bad races is don't dwell on the bad races. The more you race with the chances of probability, the more bad races you're going to have. I've had a good run. Last few races have gone really well. Since sub seven, I've pretty much had a had decent race, you know, not really had any problems, felt all right, performed pretty decent. So it was about time there was going to be something that happened. Obviously, wrong turn, bit shit, but you can't dwell on it, you know. Like if you have a bad race 5% of the time or 10% of the time and you race a lot, then that 5 and 10% of the time is going to come around a lot quicker that you know than someone that doesn't race much. And uh, that's part of the parcel, isn't it? If you want to have the good there's, races, you can have the bad races. There's always a silver lining and there's always something. Yeah, there's always a silver lining, something you take away from the race, no matter how shit it was. And one thing I would say, to, yeah, that it, that's true. Like I took out the swim, like I was really pleased with the swim and there was aspects of, of it like that I was really pleased with, you know, like the bike. Like and also how my... it makes you enjoy the days way more in, in, in the times when it does work out, doesn't it? Exactly. And one thing I would say to people is when you go away to a race, if you do have a bad race, don't dwell on it and make sure you enjoy the place where you go to. If you go somewhere for a race and you've traveled there, don't dwell on the race, put it behind you. Yeah, you've had a bad race all right, move on. It's only fucking triathlon at the end of the day. You know, make sure you have fun where you go because you've only got so many years in this sport and you're mm-hmm. probably only going to do so many events and places. Don't let them bad times ruin your trips because we're all doing it for fun at the end of the day, whether you're pro or you're an age grouper, you know, you're there to have fun. And yeah. if you're a pro and you can make a living for it, then you're just extremely lucky because it's a great way to do it. But don't dwell on the bad races and, uh, enjoy the good times you know but make the most out of the places when you go when you go somewhere nice even if you have a bad race you know it, it doesn't exactly. have to ruin your whole holiday exactly before we go to the bullshit buster john i want to um someone sent me a picture of um the twitter profile of colin Charche. his caption was if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much space I love that. I do like that saying. I've heard that before. I've actually even said that before, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was living on the edge, wasn't he? But sometimes if you step over the edge, yeah, it's a long fall down. It is. Uh, you know, and uh unfortunately he's uh he's in free fall at the moment. Imagine so the 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 other side. Well Thomas told me a lot about it and we we don't need to feel sorry for him because uh I mean it was his choice. He knew the consequences, but imagine your, your world falls apart the next day. So if you're on PhD and you hear this, your world's going to fall apart if you get caught. Like there is Holy no shit, one mate. that feels sorry for you. And I think literally you're a disgrace and no one um, will ever say it's okay what you've done. You can still be a good human. There's something else. But in the sports, um, your world's going to fall apart. I honestly can't believe I, I like how bad a time he's probably going to have because I know when I did that fucking 300k ride during lockdown 
and I looked at my phone once all that came out and it went mental and I got trolled to shit mate like my phone Twitter notifications 99 plus it said didn't even say the amount Mm -hmm. it was too many looked at it abuse 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 Facebook shitloads of abuse Instagram abuse I was like fucking hell like this is blown up it was like making me like edgy you know I was like fucking hell I'm getting I had to change my settings so I couldn't only see messages from people I follow I had this in eat, see, beat, see, teeny, weeny when I didn't even say something bad. I still think I didn't say anything wrong. Um, but when uh, when people were trying to get us canceled yeah. through, uh, because Mark Matthews twisted my words. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I was getting so many hate messages, mate. I was thinking like I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but it, yeah, I felt like well, my world was falling apart. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't even come close to something like this. I know it doesn't even come close. I think if I were him, I would log off of social media, delete my account. I would pack my bags. I would go to Bali to try and find myself and then probably but, work in India as a chef or something. But, um, if, yeah, starting a new life. If that but, was me though. I don't actually know what I do because like all your sponsors would leave because they've all got like clauses in them that if you fail mm-hmm. a test, they can ditch you. So I'd literally wouldn't even be able to pay the mortgage. I'd be totally fucked. Like it would just be like, I'd be getting shitloads of abuse from everyone, not knowing how I was going to pay the mortgage. I would be absolutely screwed. And that's not even thinking about actually having to live with it. And then people, you know, distancing themselves from you because, you know. Yeah, but you know looking that. at, so he's an American, but he lives in Spain, didn't he? He lived in uh, Girona. Um. So I don't know how well his his connection is with his family, but um, and how many like really friend real friends he has. But if he has not, he's probably just gonna pack his back and fucking move because he's got nothing to do in Girona, has he? Oh, you wouldn't stay in Girona if you're not doing it. That like exactly. if you're around all like professional athletes, you're gonna move to somewhere. Like, if I were him, I would use my money to go somewhere to Asia, trying to find Travel. yourself in some Buddha temple, and then uh, um, I don't know. Uh, trying to to make the and world a better place as a, as, a, as a volunteer or something and let's put this into perspective as well what he did was terrible in sport but at the end of the day in the grand schemes of life it's not like he raped or murdered someone is it do you know what i mean he he cheated it's terrible in sport it's a horrible it, it, it's a bad thing to do but as a human thing you know like there's a lot of crimes that he could do which would make this look like he was taking the dogs out on a saturday around the park you know like he needs to i think like you say Go away, go traveling somewhere, and just get completely and away from traveling. And like, take this really, really expensive lesson in life, and make yourself and the world a better place. Something like that. Trying to like, obviously, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna change a lot as a as a human being because this is gonna do something to you because the your whole your whole world is, is collapsing. And I can see what it did to Thomas. And uh, you can I can watch some interviews from him back in, in tw- 2004 and five, and he was a really arrogant prick. Was um, he? Yeah, yeah, he was a really arrogant prick. Whereas nowadays, he's like really uh, uh, sensitive, sweet, and he's got a lot of uh, um, compassion for a situation, and, and he's emotionally really, um, well, smart and developed. Sounds like you two might. Sounds like you two should no, be going but, out on a little date, mate. Like, <laughs> and he gives a great massage as no. well. He like rubs my legs when I'm feeling tired. Yeah, yeah. We're, and we're putting the camel back down. Our- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'll even back. fetch the camel back out when it drops too far. But sometimes he accidentally no, what, gets hold of something else. What, what I'm saying is, um, it it does change people. 
it it is uh, um, yes, he is done in the sport, and I, I in my opinion, he shouldn't be coming back after three years. I don't think his his intentions are to come back, but uh, um, he should do something else. I think he could be a great PE teacher, teaching kids how how not to use uh, uh, drugs, but it's about the the journey and having fun and getting fit. Yeah, and something I think like that's, that. That's a decent way to end it for today, I reckon. Don't you? I think it is 55 minutes. Alrighty. Um, so if you want to listen to other podcasts from us uh, about doping, we've got the one with Thomas Decker and the other one. Besides that, tomorrow there will be another podcast online with uh, Endurance Movement and myself from the Triathlon Mockery College talking about strength training. First episode that we're going to cover is why should triathletes do strength training, um, how often, etc. We're going to drive, dive right into it. Jody, this is also something for you. Um, so it doesn't matter whether you're a professional or a 25-hour Ironman. This is the show if you want to learn something. Triathlon Mockery College. All right, we're just going to launch it on our own, own name anyway. Jody, I'll see you next week, mate. See ya. See ya. Tom.